Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your manifested presence and the reality that you're in us, Lord God, and that you desire to not only be in us, but to flow through us. We thank you, Father, that you said out of our bellies shall flow rivers of living water. So I thank you that the words that I speak today, that their spirit and their life, Lord God, so that even as we all leave, that they're continually working on the heart, Lord God, to change the mind to where it's actually produced in the atmosphere around everyone, Lord God, in the sound of these words. And we just thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy, and that you are always faithful. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to start out telling you about a story. It's a story of a father. And this father has a son. It was his only son at the time. But then he had two more children. But somebody stole those children away from this father. And this father was a good father. I mean, he provided a place for his children to live. He actually gave them animals and let them name them. There was nothing that he wouldn't do for his children. Does it sound familiar? It's our story. It's not just Adam and Eve's story. This is the story of humanity where we find ourselves in. See, God's perfect will, His desire, was that His children would know Him. He already knew His children. But He needed His children to know Him. For me to go and die for you would be a huge sacrifice. Huge sacrifice. But if I couldn't come and the only way to save you was to send one of my kids, I would have to send one of my kids to save you. See, it would be nothing for me to come and die for you. But to give you one of my kids is the greater love. It's the greatest love. See, I don't think we've woken up to the reality of how much we're loved. Because if it would have been possible, the Father would have came Himself. But the Father was the only one who could raise Jesus from the dead. Jesus was the only one who could actually bring redemption and bring God's children back from the person that took them. And He took them illegally. But even though He took them illegally and it was the kid's choice to leave, He literally would pay to bring them back with the blood of His own Son. Before Adam and Eve sinned, and they were literally taken hostage by the devil, God used to come down to them, and the Bible says that one day they heard the voice of God walking in the garden. Well, the voice of God would be the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was walking in the garden. That was God's plan from the beginning, was that He would walk and live amongst His children. When they sinned, He had to redeem them with His own blood. But He did something so significant to us. He actually took His Spirit and put it inside of us and said, you'll never be absent from your Father ever again. Amen. Do you know that it says in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 20, it says that when you stand before councils, take no thought for what you're going to say, for it'll be given you in that hour what you shall speak. And it says it won't be you that speaks, but the Spirit of the Father that lives in you. 
See, when we think of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, we separate it somehow from the Spirit of the Father. But do you know that God is infinite? That means that if He takes Himself and puts it in you, it doesn't diminish Him because you can't take away from Him because He's infinite. So when He takes a piece of Himself or of the fullness of Himself and puts Him in you, what happens is you're no longer fatherless. It's the Father's Spirit inside of us. And He loves you so much. And Jesus is the express image of God's love for you. He is. See, when we think of grace, let's turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 40. God is amazing. When God dreams, He dreams of like planets and stars and universe and galaxies, of sons and daughters, of salvation and redemption. Amen. Of His glory covering the earth like the seas. And who are the carriers of His glory? It's you. When He said, be fruitful and multiply, Adam and Eve was made in His likeness and image, which literally meant, take this glory that's on you and put it everywhere. Fill the earth with this glory. Because every time you look at one another, you're supposed to see the glory of God manifested because we're made in His image and His likeness. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 2, verse 40. That is amazing. I mean, before I even read that, he's doing such a great work in the earth right now. He's actually waking our hearts, actually, to the possibility of impossibilities. Yes, where everything becomes possible because we're finally seeing our Father for who he is. And when we see him for who he is, we see us for who we are. When we get a clear perspective of Him, it, gets, it gives us a clear perspective of ourselves. Do you know you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you hate yourself? You can't. You'll hate your neighbor because you hate yourself. How can you love yourself when you know how much you're loved? If you feel like, I don't really love God like I should, you're in a good place. I'm going to say that one more time because it's a shock. If you feel like I don't love God like I should, you are in a good place. Because there was a time in your life when you didn't love God at all. I remember Mark asking me, he said, you love Jesus, don't you? And I said, yeah, but I say it to him a lot, but you'll never hear me brag about how much I love Jesus because there was a time in my life where I didn't love Jesus at all. Didn't love him at all. Listen to what I'm saying. Do you know that the Scripture says that it's not that we first loved God, but that He first loved us? Let me ask you a question. Do you love children for what they can do for you? Why do we love children? We love children because they're ours. Because we had an integral part with literally producing them. Without us, there would be no them. You understand that no child ever asked to be created? But they carry our DNA do you know that when a child is born, they have no ability to love you back? They don't. A child don't know love when it's born. It knows need and dependency, but it don't know love. All they do is eat, sleep, and poop. It does not matter if, if it's midnight and you just went to bed and you got to get up for work in four hours. That child will wake you up and throw a fit till you get it what it wants. Why do you love children? Because they're yours. 
It won't be till years later that that child will be able to reciprocate any kind of love towards you or to you. It won't be for years, but one day they'll wake up with a desire in their heart to want to hold your hand. They won't want to leave your side. They won't want to go with somebody else. Why? Because they awoke unto love. Because now, now they know their love so they can return the love to you. But let me ask you a question. Did the love they have for you, did it start with them or you? It started with you. Their response for love for you is just the love that you put in them. Amen. That's why it's not that we first loved God, but that He first loved us. Religion will tell you, you got to love God more. you got to love God more. you got to love God more. What does that look like? How in the world can I love God more? So all of a sudden, I'm self-focused instead of Christ-focused. It becomes self-centered instead of Christ-centered. Because I'm looking to myself to produce something I don't have. In order to get something I don't have, I have to go somewhere I haven't been. Amen? And that's where God's taking us. Amen. There was a time I didn't love Jesus at all. Actually, I despised even talking about Him. My mom told me when I went over my mom, she got saved. All she wanted to do was talk about Jesus. I said, look, if you're going to talk about Jesus, I just ain't going to come over here anymore. And I didn't. I didn't come over here to hear about Jesus. But now, that's all I talk about. It is. But it's not that I first loved him. He first loved me. To say that someone doesn't deserve the love of God, you would have to look at them and say, Jesus didn't die for them. And Jesus died for everybody. Everyone. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Yes. Yes. Did Jesus need grace to forgive sin? No. He was sinless. So what did Jesus need grace for then? Do you know that grace in the Greek, its main meaning literally means the divine influence upon the heart to its reflection and light. That means it's God's ability to affect your heart, your mind, your soul, your will, and your emotions to when then it's literally impacts your life and is produced in the atmosphere around you. It's God's ability in you. See, Jesus humbled himself as a man. The Bible says that he laid aside his divinity and came and humbled himself as a man. He modeled a life literally that set an example for us to follow because he humbled himself of his godhood He showed us what it would look like for a man who was in right standing with his father, who was fully dependent upon the father to produce life in him. He modeled a life for us to follow that was completely dependent upon the grace of God. See, if I was praying for the dead, God forbid someone you know died, and, I, and you say, hey, Pastor Steve, will you please, this, this person died, and I believe if you come and lay hands on him, he'll be risen from the dead. If I come and lay hands on that person and they get up, you would say, thank you, thank you so much. I would say, it's not me, it's the Father in me. He does the works. My response to you would be no different than Jesus' response to them. It's the same thing. And we think, because we know we can't raise anybody from the dead, 
without Jesus and without the Spirit of the Father inside of us. We know that's an impossibility, but then we act like the rest of the Christian life is possible. It all has to be by grace or none of it is. You can't put a little bit of you and then a lot of God when you need Him. Like, I can take care of this part, God, if you'll manage this part. Because I can do this part by myself. Everything God has called us to is in the realm of the impossible. It includes you, but it's not based upon you or what you can achieve. See, grace is not the end. God said this to me two weeks ago. I shared it with Mark. I love it. Because I was just driving, me and Heather, and all of a sudden I wasn't doing anything. All of a sudden this thought came to me. I know, it's the Holy Spirit. That's how He speaks. Usually when I'm not trying to speak, He can finally get a word in. Praise God. You know. But I'm driving, and the Lord says to me, grace is not the end. It's the door that opens up to the limitlessness of God. Grace opens the door to the limitlessness of God. Everything becomes attainable to us now because we're not working by ourselves. It's the Father in us that does the works. So I'm not trying to love God more so somehow He'll do something for me. I love principles. Don't get me wrong. But we have reduced the gospel to pull this lever, push that button to get these desired results. There's principles for everything, and it's all based on doctrine. But when Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give, was he saying to give a theology or a doctrine or a principle, or was he telling them to give a person? Because the gospel is a person. And when we preach the gospel, we're preaching Christ. We're not giving them theology based upon our principles. We're giving them a person because I have a covenant relationship with God Almighty. I have a covenant relationship with Heather. But I don't live our marriage because our marriage and the covenant that we have between God is the same like a marriage covenant. I don't live my marriage on principles. If I do the dishes, will you cook dinner? Or maybe if I fold your clothes, you'll do something for me. Maybe I could get you to do that. That wouldn't be love. That would be manipulation. I'm trying to manipulate her to do something for me because I, in my mind, I think that if I obey these principles, then she'll do it. And the whole time, she's here. She'll do anything I ask her. Anything. All I have to do is, will you do this for me? She'd be happy to do it. Why? Because... It's a relationship that we have. We don't have a marriage based upon principles. We have a marriage based upon union. And we both became one flesh. And the Bible says that he who's joined to the Lord is one spirit. It doesn't say one in spirit, which means you would think alike. It means one spirit, which means you are alike. Like I heard Val say, and I took it as my own. You can't tell where I stop and Jesus starts. <laughs> because we're so one. You can't tell. And like I preached at my uncle's church a little while ago, my life goal is Jesus' life goal. I love it. It just is. It dawned on me one day. Philip says to Jesus, show us the Father and it'll be enough for us. It's in John chapter 14. And Jesus says to Philip, have I been with you all this time and you still don't know me? If you see me, you've seen the Father. That's my life goal right there. When somebody says, just show me Jesus and it'll be enough for us, I could say, have I been with you all this time and you still don't know Him? Because if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. 
And if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Amen. Amen. God wants to take us deeper than we've ever been. Deeper than any other generation has ever been. What happens in every great movement is the movement dies with the person who started it. It's such a shame. Nobody picks that up and runs with it. The John G. Lake or Smith Wigglesworth. How come people didn't start where they stopped? Where literally their ceiling became their floor? And this is my own personal beliefs because they didn't have the relationship that John G. Lake or Smith Wigglesworth had or a Peter or a James or a John or Apostle Paul. They reduced it down to principles. But when you reduce it to principles, literally it lacks power because there's no presence. And without the presence of God, there's no power of God. You can see some good results, but we're not looking for good results. I'm trying to abide, to live in, to move there and not leave in the secret place of the Most High. I want to constantly remain under the shadow of the Almighty so I can say the Lord is my strength and my refuge. Who shall I fear? Come on. Amen. Amen. That's the resting place. That's the hiding place that few men have ever gotten to. But I can tell you that there is this generation that there is going to be hundreds, maybe hundreds of thousands of John G. Lake's Smith Wigglesworth. Because John G. Lake and Smith Wigglesworth, they look just like Jesus. And when you've seen them, you've seen the Father. Because their life wasn't based upon principles that was absent of presence then there was no power. They had a lot of power because they focused on that relationship and being continually in that presence. Amen. 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 He's good. He is. God wants us to walk in this anointing more than we want to. God wants us to lay hands on the sick and they'll recover more than we want to do that. But are we wanting to do those things outside of presence? See, these signs shall follow them that believe, that are in covenant relationship. But what happens if we get comfortable in our Christianity, we stop the press. Instead of advancing, we draw back. You might want to stay where you are, but it doesn't work like that. If you're not going to advance, you're going to lose ground. The kingdom of God was never meant to be built upon monuments. The kingdom of God was always supposed to carry momentum. We're not supposed to look back and say yesterday was greater than today. We're supposed to say today was greater than yesterday and I can't wait to get till tomorrow. Amen. But that only comes from literally desiring God more. The last two months I've been crying out more. More. I don't even know if it's theologically sound, but I want it. Because I used to say, you got all of God you're going to get, but it comes through knowledge. Because Second Peter says, chapter 1, that we've been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that's called us to glory and virtue. And then a couple weeks ago, it dawned on me, who has all the knowledge of God? Nobody does. It says to the searching of His understanding, there is no end. It actually says that His understanding is infinite. That's Psalms 147, verse 5. We have access to all the wisdom of God because we have the mind of Christ. 
we have the Spirit of God. That's what the Scripture says in 1 John, that you have an unction from the Holy One and know all things. Do you want to know why the Son of God appeared? One of the reasons, one of the main reasons, and it's found in the book of 1 John, it says the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came. That's why you're not in heaven right now. Because if he just wanted you in heaven, you wouldn't still be here. If he was just concerned about salvation, he's concerned about establishing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And you are his kingdom ambassadors. You're the one who carries this message. You carry his glory, his power, his resemblance, his might, his dominion, all with momentum for advancement, to advance his plans, his agenda. Amen. But it only comes through relationship. That don't mean we throw all the principles away like they're garbage. No. Not at all. But I'm not going to reduce the gospel to principles when it's all about a person. And my life changed. It wasn't based upon principles that changed my life. I had an encounter. And God changed my heart. Do you know when Samuel met with King Saul, do you know that the Bible says that God put a new heart in him? A new heart in him. It was a heart that beat just like God. But Saul got off rhythm. And his heart stopped beating for the Lord. You can never get off rhythm. Because he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. But what the enemy can do is try to stop you from advancement. And so you stop dreaming. You're not dreaming with God anymore. You're dreaming about things, cars, whatever, houses, whatever it is. And that's where Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. See, we've even reduced that down to principles. The righteousness of God is Christ. It's a person. It's not a 10-step program to get you righteous. It's found in a person. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with principles. It has to do about developing a relationship with the one who saved you. I don't understand this, but I want it. It's in Acts chapter 2. Oh, I want this so bad, guys. I, I don't understand it. So if you have some light, praise God, we can talk. Just not while I'm talking. <laughs> Amen. Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that they were all praying with one accord and there came a mighty rushing wind into that place and there appeared above their head cloven tongues of fire and it says that they were all baptized with the Holy Ghost. They were all baptized with the Holy Ghost and they all spoke in tongues. Acts chapter 4, they just got beat. Peter says, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto your servants, I think he said, that with all boldness we may proclaim the gospel with signs and wonders through the name of your holy child Jesus. And it says that the place that they were gathered was shaken and that they were all baptized again, filled with the Spirit again. I don't understand that. I don't. I just know that there's more because our theology says, well, hold on, once you have the Holy Spirit, you, you're not going to get them again. 
God took himself and put himself inside of us. So yeah, I understand that. But this impartation of the Spirit produced power because in the next chapter, they're literally dragging people out on couches and mats, hoping that maybe just the shadow of Peter will fall on them. There was a power that was displayed on their life where all were healed. See, they seen some manifestations before this. Because Acts chapter 3, I think, is the guy at the gate called Beautiful who couldn't walk. And Peter said, silver and gold, I have none. I don't have, but what I have, I freely give you in the name of Jesus. Arise and walk. And the guy was healed. It went from seeing one person healed till they all were healed. And they ran out of the cities and the villages round about just hoping that maybe, just maybe, Peter's shadow would fall on them. How does that even happen? They were so hungry for more of God, even at the risk of their own life. They prayed and they, and they meant it. They wanted to see more of God. They wanted more of Him. When He becomes the most valuable thing to us, I believe that we will see the greatest manifestation that we have ever seen. But it's prioritizing Him is first. It is. And not to think that you have to put all this pressure on yourself to prioritize yourself to do this. If I could just try hard enough, maybe God will do it. Just uh, make myself read the Bible more. Make myself pray more. God, I, I want the more. I'm going to commit to more fasting. And I'm going to commit to give everything away I have away. And suffer my body to be burned in the flames. And I'm going to say to this mountain because I have all faith. And none of it has to do anything with love. It's all self-focused. You don't lost everything when you start thinking like that. I had a conversation with my mom a while ago. And she said, I don't know. She said, I just, I haven't wanted to pray. I haven't wanted to read my Bible. You know, and I said, no big deal. I said, do you, do you think it's your obligation to spark those desires? Or do you think that it's God that works in you both to will and to do with His good pleasure? We literally have not because we ask not. If we see God doing something very significant in somebody's life, all you have to do is say, Lord, I want to hunger and burn like they burn. I want to desire you like they desire you. I want to go deeper into places where I haven't seen. Then all of a sudden those desires you're awakened. You're quickened. You're dependent on His grace, His ability inside of you to do this. It's no longer self-centered. It became fully Christ-centered. Amen. I love the verse. I think it's in Ephesians 1.6. But it, it says that to the praise of the glory of His grace. To the praise of the glory of His grace wherein He has made us accepted in the beloved. He did it. See, we didn't make ourselves accepted. We didn't make ourselves accepted in the beloved. He made us accepted in the beloved. And it's to the praise of the glory of His ability, grace, the divine inspiration, influence upon the heart, and its outward reflection in life. That means it's God's ability to impact your heart, your mind, your will, your soul, your emotions to where it actually is produced into your atmosphere. To the praise of His, the glory of His grace, His ability, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. It's Him.
See, if I take credit for something, he doesn't get glory. If I felt like I disciplined myself enough to read five chapters today, he gets no glory. He gets no credit. All of a sudden, we become self-righteous and we feel like we get to approach God because of our performance. He loses all the glory. It's outside of his ability. Anything outside of his ability becomes works and it can't be by grace. It's not him influencing your heart. If Jesus modeled what a life would look like for a man in right standing with God who was fully submitted and yielded to God's ability in his life, God's ability, the Father's ability to influence his life, he modeled that for us so we could walk in that. But Jesus said something spectacular. He said, the works that I do, you shall do greater works than these because I ascend to the Father. Because I am your righteousness. Because I set you in right standing. Because my Father is going to take his spirit and put it in you. You'll do greater works than these. Because the devil has been dethroned in this earth. The reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil. And he has. It's all about knowing Him, though. It is all about knowing Him. God wants to reveal His self to us in ways that we haven't even seen. Thank you, Lord. That's it. The Bible says that eye has not seen, neither has it ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. And again, you can't love Him unless you know that you're loved. He's the one that gives us our identity, our creative value, our purpose, restores destiny. He's the one that gives us vision for more than what we are to become all that He is. He's the one who says that He's revealed that to us. The things that no man has seen, heard, understood, perceived, He's revealed them to us by His Spirit. That's the Father's Spirit living inside of you. He took His self and He put His self in you so that everywhere you go, you'll look like Him and advance the kingdom of God. Amen.